Okay, if you would take your Bible this morning and turn to the book of Hebrews in chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And we're going to read the last five verses, starting at verse 25. Hebrews 12, verse 25 says, See that you refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word... Yet once more signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your precious word. We thank you that we have it inspired and preserved for us, and that we can study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So pray that you help us to rightly divide thy truth this morning, to make application to our own lives for our good and for thy glory, we do pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, the Bible says in several places, for example, in Joshua 24 and verse 14, Joshua challenged children of Israel to serve the Lord in sincerity and truth. Sincerity and truth. When Jesus was speaking to the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, he said that they that worship him, speaking of worshiping God, must, it's a must, Worship him in spirit and truth. Your brother Will mentioned in Sunday school class this morning that Jeroboam was a religious man. He was a spiritual man. Now, you can understand that word spiritual in two ways. In other words, he was deeply religious, or sometimes we use the word spiritual to mean that somebody is close to God. Well, he was religious, but he was not close to God. You know, he was sincere but he was not walking in the truth. He was not walking in the truth. You know, Proverbs tells us two times, Proverbs 14, 12, 16, 25, there is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And as we consider this passage here in Hebrews chapter 12, God again, through his uh, word, is warning these Hebrews, this is written to the Hebrews, probably the church at Jerusalem, that of their need to give heed to the Word of God. And, you know, when we think about the Word of God, we're not just talking about the written Word, but really the Word of God encompasses the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Word, but to give heed to Him. And, and of course, you know, the danger there was of them going back into the Old Testament and, and following after the law of Moses and so on and so forth and not receiving the Lord Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of all those things. And so, so he says the, there's an acceptable way, there is an acceptable way to serve God. And that's the title of the message. Serving God acceptably. 
acceptably. You, you can be religious and lost. You can be a spiritual person. Several years ago, this has probably been 10, 12 years ago now, my wife and I were out visiting uh, one evening down in uh, just south of 540. And we knocked on this door, and, and this lady came to the door, and, and we began a conversation. And she said, well, oh, I'm very religious, very religious, you know. And she was, but she was very lost. She was very lost. Her religion or her worship or her spirituality was not acceptable to God. So as we consider this morning, I want to notice several things, three things and, and some subpoints. First of all, the warning against refusing to heed the word of God. Verse 25 and 26 says, See that refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. The word refuse means to decline, to shun, to avoid. And he says, See that you refuse not. In other words, don't decline, don't shun or avoid. It's used uh, in Acts 25, 11, where Paul says this, if I be an offender, I've committed anything worthy of death, I refuse. In other words, I'm not avoiding to die. But if there be none of these things whereof they accuse me, no man may deliver me unto them, I appeal unto Caesar. You see, Paul is saying here, look, if I've committed a crime worthy of death, then justly so, I need to be put to death. But if I have not, which he did not, you know, he was saying, I would not oppose death. I would not refuse it if I deserved it. If I committed a crime worthy of it, I, re- I refuse not to die. And so we're not to refuse, we're not to avoid, we're not to shy away from the truth of the Word of God. And he gives an example here of warning from Old Testament Israel in verse 25. It says, Sith they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away him that speaketh from heaven. In the Old Testament, the voice they heard was on earth. It was on Mount Sinai. And yet they were accountable for what they heard. There was no escaping the judgment of God that was announced there that day. Uh, God judged them for the disobedience to and disregard for his word that they heard on earth. Uh, In fact, in, in Hebrews chapter 10, it speaks about this. It gives an illustration, and it's a reference, I believe, to, to a, a man picking up sticks. But in Hebrews 10, verse 26 to 28 says, For if we sin willfully, in other words, knowingly, on purpose, I don't care what God says, refusing to obey his word, I'm going to do it anyway. If we sin willfully after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and firing nation, which shall devour the adversaries, he that despised, that's what it really means to, re- to refuse, despised Moses' law, died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Now, I believe what it's referring to here is a man picking up sticks. And in Exodus chapter 31, you have Moses under the directions of the Lord. The Lord there giving explicit instructions to the children of Israel, clear commands concerning the Sabbath day and the keeping thereof. But in Numbers chapter 15, you have a man 
willfully disregarding the commands of the Lord. He does what he wants. He gathers sticks on the Sabbath day, and, and the Lord commands them to stone him. Because he disregarded. He refused to hear. He disregarded the word of the Lord. And he chose to go his own way and do his own thing. You know, and this is what the children of Israel did. And this is what he's referring to here. Look, if they escape not, refused him that spake on earth. You know, they were commanded, the children of Israel were commanded to trust and obey and go in at the Lord's command and possess the land. But they refused. They refused. They disregarded his word. And they gave heed to their own understanding. You know, they said, well, we can't do it because this is what we see in there. And, and they disregarded the word of the Lord. And, and, and therefore, all those 20 years old and upward died in the wilderness except Joshua and Caleb. You know, they found out what happens when you disregard or break God's commandment. Numbers 14.34 says this, And after the number of the days in which ye search the land, even forty days each day for a year, shall ye bear your iniquities even forty years, and ye shall know my breach. And that word breach means my, the breaking of my promise. You see, God gave them a promise. I will give you this land. Go in and possess it. He gave them a promise and a command. And they just disregarded it. They refused it. And so there's a warning here. From Old Testament Israel. Not only to these Hebrews who are struggling with, you know, do I trust Christ or do I need to be circumcised? Or do I need to keep the law? And do I, you know, you know, but there's a warning here to us that God will keep his word. There is, we will bear the consequences of, of breaking his promises and his commands. The second thing we see here as we think about this warning, is the exhortation to greater responsibility. Notice again verse 25 and 26 says, See that refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. So much more, him that speaketh from heaven. You know, this, this voice, the one who spoke from heaven, will, is going to shake the heaven also, not just the earth. You know, the children of Israel heard God's voice on earth. He spake to them on earth. But we have been given his word from heaven, from heaven. You know, Matthew 24, 29 says, Immediately after the tribunals of those days shall the sun be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, the stars shall fall from heaven, the powers of heaven shall be shaken. You know, and who is it will shake the heavens and the earth? Well, go over to Revelation chapter 5. Now, I'm going somewhere to so follow my, my trail here. Revelation chapter 5. We identify the, the one who speaks from heaven and who will shake heaven and earth. In Revelation 5, in verse 1 it says, And I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written, and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? No man in heaven nor on earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. 
And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open to read the book, neither look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book, to loose the seven seals. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven heads, seven horns, and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. Now go to chapter 6, verse 1. And when I saw the lamb, this is the lamb that took the book, the line of the tribe of Judah, of course that's Jesus Christ. He opened, and opened one of the seals, and I heard as it were the voice of thunder, one of the four bays saying, come and see. And drop down to verse 12. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, this is the lamb, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun was black as sackcloth of hair. The moon became as blood. The stars of heaven fell onto the earth, even as a fig tree cast their untimely figs when she is shaken to the mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it was rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks and the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? You see, this is the one who's going to shake heaven and earth. It's Jesus Christ. You know, Israel heard the voice of God on the earth, and the earth shook and trembled. At the voice of God. It was such a, fear, a fearful sight that in verse 21 of chapter 12, it says, even Moses trembled. But this is the Son of God. This is the God man that came, has come down and lived among men and gave us a complete written revelation of himself and his plan for the ages. Look at Hebrews chapter 1 and, and verse. Uh, Verse 1, Hebrews 1, verse 1, where it says, God, who at sundry times, that means it's just different times, and at divers manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. So he, he spoke in different ways. He spoke through Moses. He spoke through the prophets, through direct relation. But it says, Hath in these last days, in other words, the days in which we're living, spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. See, God spoke in times past by the prophets and Moses and so on and so forth, but now he's spoken unto us directly by his son. By his son. You see, this is something no one else in prior ages had been given. A direct revelation from the Son of God himself. The one who made the worlds. The one who made the worlds. That is why so much more shall not we escape. In other words, we need to listen. We need to take good look. We need to give heed. You know, God dwelt among us. We beheld his glory we have witness of his mighty works and his word, the miracles that he did, proving he was the Son of God whom he claimed to be. How much more responsible are we? You know, we have everything we need to know about life and godliness. Second Peter chapter 1 tells us. 
Through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. How to live to please God. It's all in the Word of God. We have complete revelation. Yet they didn't have that when Paul was living. Or when Peter was living. And when Moses was living. They had parts of the Bible. Parts of the Word of God. Parts of the revelation that God was going to make known to man. They had parts of it. We have it all. We have it all. And we can sit in an assembly of the people of God and hear the word of God proclaimed week after week and yet refuse to give heed to it because of our stubborn pride and rebellious heart. Do you think we will escape judgment? In fact, in Hebrews chapter 2, he warns them in several places. You know, these people that he's speaking to here, probably many of them had witnessed Jesus Christ himself, God-man, walking and teaching in Jerusalem during his earthly ministry. And he says to them, Therefore, we, and we conclude ourselves in this because we have a complete revelation, though we didn't see his person, his body, but we, 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 we understand we have his revelation to us through his word. We have a complete revelation, even more than they had. So we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by them that heard him, God also bearing the witness both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and with gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. How shall we escape? In chapter 3, verse 7 again, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, Today if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation of the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works for years. God did all kinds of miraculous works, brought them through the Red Sea. He brought water out of the rock. He brought water out of, uh, out of a, uh, 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 made uh, sweet water bitter by throwing a tree into it. He fed them with manna. He, they saw their works, and, 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 and yet, he says he was grieved with them because they err in their heart. And they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. You know, so often we are challenged by the word of God. Rather than obey it, we avoid it. We avoid it. Yes, you know, been often said people don't avoid attendance in the New Testament Baptist Church because they live too far away. But because they want to avoid their responsibility of their life before God. Same with Ahaz this morning. He didn't, he, didn't want to, he didn't want to take God at his word. He'd rather depend on a man than be accountable to God. Oh, we need to give the more earnest heed. We need to be careful what we allow to take precedence over the preaching of the word of the living God. Because God manifests his word through preaching, Titus chapter 1 tells us. 1 Thessalonians 5.20 says, despise not prophesy. 
You know, many times there would be a message from the Word of God that would be helpful in your thought processes. You may have missed it because you weren't here. It's important. And, you know, we have a responsibility to receive all the counsel of God, not just the parts that we like, not just the parts that are easier. You know, it's popular in our culture, in our world today, to just accept what's easy, what's pleasing to us. You know, everybody wants to have some kind of salvation. But they won't want to take up their cross. They don't want to be a disciple of the Lord. See, they want, to do, want the things that are easier or more acceptable in society. You know, biblical standards of holiness are not easy or popular, even, even in churches today. But you know what? They're still biblical. God hasn't changed. Men have. Men have. And so, we are much more. We're encouraged of the greater responsibility we have. Because we've been given a complete revelation. Do we have it better? We can have more knowledge of God than any, any of the, the, the time periods before us. Because we have a complete revelation of God and his work. Second thing, second thing we ought to see is, is we are encouraged to build on that which remains. And I want to notice two things here. First of all, uh, we're, so we're to build on, build on things that remain or something that is permanent. And, and the kingdom of God is permanent. If you notice in verse 27, 28, it says, And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. So, you know, there will be a destruction of or a change of temporal things to that which is eternal. That's what verse 27. The word removing means to change. It kind of has the idea of transferal. Or, I like this one, disestablishment. Look at Revelation chapter 11 and verse 15. Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. <clears throat> Revelation 11, verse 15 says this. And the seventh angel sounded. Remember, it's the Lord Jesus who's opened these seals. He's opened these trumpet judgments. Then he's going to open the bowl judgments, the vile judgments. And it says, And the seventh angel sounded, and there was great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world. Notice this. The kingdoms of this world. That's the empires of the world that we see in our world. Are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. Now what that means is, God's going to transfer, he's going to disestablish all the kingdoms of this world. He, he's really going to, you know, just, just he's going to change them, he's going to remove them, you know, they're no, they're, they're, they will cease to be, but all the kingdoms of the world are going to become the kingdoms of our Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. For example, go over to Daniel chapter 2, and I think it will help you understand this. Daniel chapter 2. They're going to be, you might say it this way, all the kingdoms of this world are going to be absolved. And the kingdom that's going to remain 
is the kingdom of Christ. Daniel 2 and verse 36. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream and Daniel interprets this dream for him. And in verse 36 says, this is a dream and we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. Daniel 2 verse 37. Thou, O king, art a king of kings. For the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field, of the fowls of the heaven, hath given it into thine, ha- into thine hand, hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold. After this, after thee shall rise another kingdom inferior to thee, and another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. So the second kingdom is going to be of sil- was of silver. So the statue was head of gold, which is Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. The silver was... Uh, the, the Persian Empire, the brass would be the Greek Empire. And, and if you read on through Daniel, it, it further explains these. But for sake of time, I don't have time to do all that. And then it says in a fourth kingdom, verse 40, shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and dieth all things, subdueth all things. And as iron that breaketh all these, shall it break in pieces and bruise. Whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, and the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it the strength of iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay. That's a mixture of, of communism or socialism and democracy. Socialist Democrats. That's the terminology. We see them in our world today. That's what Bernie Sanders is, by the way. He's a socialist Democrat. Of course, most of our politicians that are in power today are that. But anyway, so there's a mixture of this iron and clay. And then it says in, in uh, 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 drop down to verse... 44, and in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms. And it shall stand forever. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter. And the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof sure. So, so you know, all these kingdoms are going to run their, their time on earth, and, and then God's going to set up his kingdom, and he's going to consume and destroy all those kingdoms, and his kingdom shall stand forever. Look at chapter 7. And I want you to notice the, the wording here. Chapter 7 and verse 11. And this is really the same kingdoms, but here they're described in more detail and they're, they're illustrated as animals. Uh, verse 11, chapter 7, verse 11. Beheld, I beheld, because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake. I beheld even till the beast was slain and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. That's concerning the rest of the beasts. So he saw, he saw a lion which was, was verse 4, which is Nebuchadnezzar, or the Babylonian Empire. He saw a bear, uh, uh, like a bear, verse 5, which would be the Medo-Persian Empire. And then he saw a leopard, which speaks, it's very fast, a leopard of very fast, and the Grecian Empire conquered the world, I mean, extremely quick. He was known for his speed. And that was the Grecian Empire, and then the fourth beast, described in verse 7 and 8, is the Roman Empire, the iron mixed with clay. And then in verse 11, it says this, I beheld then, because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake, that's referring to the last kingdom, 
I beheld even till the beast was slain, his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As concerning the rest of the beast, they, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season of time. And I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven, came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. Uh, and verse, notice in verse 12, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season. In other words, their, their kingdoms were taken away. And if, you, if the word means removed, their kingdoms were removed. In Hebrews 12.27 says that there will be a removing Yet once more signified he's removing of those things that are shaken, the kingdoms of the world. See, all that is in the world and of the world will be removed. It will be changed. It will be destroyed. It will be consumed by the kingdom of God and his Christ, his anointed one, who will rule and reign over all the earth. And, of course, Peter describes this in Second Peter chapter 3 and verses 10 through 13 when he says that, the heavens shall melt with fervent heat, and all the things in the earth shall be destroyed, and the Lord shall set up his kingdom during the day of the Lord. So there's going to be a destruction or a change of those things that are temporal into that which is eternal. They're going to be removed. Now notice the second thing here, but the kingdom of God is permanent. You know, everything that you, we see on earth, all the kingdoms of this world are temporary. The things that your own little kingdom that you, you, that you buy and possess and that you consider yours, it's all temporary. It's all temporary. We didn't remember that. But the kingdom of God is permanent. Verse 40, 28 says this, Wherefore, we're receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. It cannot be moved. God's kingdom. You know, and, and I want to define two words here. Receiving means to receive something that's transmitted, and then it cannot be moved. It's not liable to disorder. It's not liable to overthrow. It is firm. It is stable. In other words, it's not going to change. It cannot be removed. And of course, Colossians, you know, John 1.12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. John 3, 5 says, except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So we know that we understand that we enter into the kingdom of God, into that which cannot be changed, that which cannot be altered. We are, we are born again. We enter it by new birth. <coughs> Colossians 12, I'm sorry, Colossians 1, 12 says, Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, has translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So by the virtue of the new birth, or being born again, receiving the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we have been translated or transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light or the kingdom of Christ. And we have been received into a kingdom which cannot 
be changed or destroyed. It cannot be consumed. Therefore, our life in God cannot be changed. It cannot be changed. This is eternal security. We're secure in Him. And furthermore, our works done in faithfulness to God cannot be taken away. It can't be taken away from us. But they will be rewarded. You see, the kingdom of God and everything concerning the kingdom of God cannot be shaken. Notice again verse 27. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken as of things that are made. You know, we, we, we human beings have built empires in this world. There are things that we have made, and they're all going to be shaken. They're all going to be destroyed. They're all going to be consumed. You know, I, I think I have a, you know, I like my house. I think I have a pretty nice house. I've worked to, you know, remodel it and make it like I want it. And, but, you know, one day it's going to be, it's going to be consumed. It's temporal. It's temporal. And so everything that's been made is going to be shaken. But that those things that cannot be shaken may remain. And so... Anything done in faithfulness to God and, 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 and you know, serving the Lord by walking in the Spirit and in truth, no man can rob you of that. It cannot be shaken. It cannot be taken from you. you know, Brother Mitchell preached from 1 Corinthians 15, 38, where he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abiding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It cannot be taken away from you. And it's not about how much you show, but how faithful you are in your labor. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 9. Galatians 6, verses 7 through 9. The Bible says this. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that soweth to the flesh shall the flesh reap corruption. It's going to be removed. It's going to, be, it's going to pass away. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. You know, for many years, Joseph's faithfulness was unknown to the world. Potiphar knew it. The jailer knew it, but the world did not know it. It's believed for 13 years, Joseph lived in obscurity. Nobody really knew him. And nobody knew how he served God faithfully and how God favored him. Until one day, Pharaoh has a dream. And the butler says, you need to go send for this guy I met in prison, Joseph. And God reveals to all the world Joseph's faithfulness to him. You know, your faithfulness may not be known by the world. It may not be known. 
But when the Lord Jesus Christ comes to set up his kingdom, the world will know. The world will know those who have been faithful in laboring in his kingdom. And their labors will be rewarded. You know, it's described as gold, silver, and precious stones. Things that will be purified and made of more value. So, we need to labor for those things that are permanent to build on that which remains. Now, to notice the third thing, and finally, we see the exhortation to faithful service. And, and, and I want you to notice several things here. First of all, faithful service is possible by the enabling grace of God. Notice verse 28. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. The word grace here refers to the enabling power or influence of God. It's that, it's that power of God that enables us to serve Him acceptably or pleasing. It's not storable. It's, not something, it's something we need daily. You know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, uh, by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 12, 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 12, he says this, But our rejoicing is this, that the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you. He says, we have had, in other words, we have had past and present continually, but by the grace of God, we've demonstrated our conversation pleasing to God in the world. See, we need it. it was by the grace of God every day. It was ongoing, daily relying on the grace of God. Whereby he served God faithfully. In 1 Timothy 2, 1, verse 12, he says, I thank Christ Jesus, my Lord, who hath enabled me, for he counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry, who before was a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did ignorantly and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord Jesus was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. See, the grace of God so worked in his life through his yielded spirit that the love of, for the Lord became the constraining drive or the compelling force of his life. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, he would write, For the love of Christ constraineth us. In other words, it compels us. That was the constraining force. And so God so worked his life. Yeah, but many times our love is divided with earthly things, and whether they be human ties or earthly possessions, therefore our service for the Lord is hindered or encumbered. So we need to allow the love of Christ to constrain us, to compel us in His grace. See, uh, we can serve. We can be faithful by the grace of God that is available to us, that will enable us. I want to notice the second thing here. Our service, Lord, will be judged. It will be judged. Notice again verse 28 and 29. Whereby we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably. In other words, there's a, there's a way that's not acceptable. With reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. 
you know, our lives as servants will be judged. There is acceptable service and there is unacceptable service. You know, Jeroboam's service was not acceptable. Abel's service was acceptable. Cain's was not. What makes the difference? One brought what God requested. The other brought what he thought was right. See, it's not... You can serve the Lord... You can be as sincere as you want to be and be not accepted. You can be very zealous. Many people in the world are very zealous about their religion, but they are not serving God acceptably. Why? Because it's not in truth. See, we must worship God in spirit and in truth. Joshua said we must serve Him in sincerity and in truth. And we have to appear. You know, 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every man may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And that word bad there means, is defined as wrong or wicked. Now, I am not referring to unsaved people. Paul's not referring to unsaved people when he penned this to the church of Corinth. He said, you people could be doing things that are wicked and think you're pleasing God. And when you get to the judgment seat of Christ, that's going to be consumed because our God is a consuming fire. If it's wicked, if it's bad. You know, sometimes we, we, we can do things that are evil. If you don't think you can, you're deceived. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, the Bible says, Take heed unto yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make you a graven image or the likeness of any, anything which, is in, which the Lord thy God hath forbidden thee. For our, the Lord our God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. You know, when you put anything between you and your faithfulness to God, you have erected an idol in your life. And the Lord will consume it. He will burn it up because it's all worthless. It's evil works of our life. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And we find this, this judgment defined for us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, in verse 11, it says, For the foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And that's the beginning point. That's our salvation is to rest in Him. But we're to build on that. Build on Him. So we have to serve Him in sincerity and in truth. That's what it is to be acceptable. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. Every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. Our God is a consuming fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort. In other words, what kind or quality it is. Not how much of it. Not the quantity, the quality. If 
any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So, what is the things that are going to be burned? The wood, the hay, the stubble. Gold isn't burned. Silver is not burned. Precious stones are not burned. They're purified. They're made more valuable. And see, faithful to service is described here as gold, silver, and precious stones. Work done by the leading and submission to the Spirit of God. But anything that's done for self, for honor of self, or out of your own will, and not of the Lord's leading, is wood, hay, and stubble. It's evil. And God's going to consume it. You know, what's left of wood, hay, and stubble when fire's put to it? Ashes. You know what they did with ashes? You know what ashes were symbolic of in the Old Testament? Mourning. It's going to be a sad day if we stand before God and all our works are reduced to ashes because we did things our way and not God's way. You Ananias Sapphira thought they were doing something great. But see, it became about them and their glory. You know, why do they not say it was part of the sale? Why? You know, I don't think it was wrong they kept back part of the price. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell us that, that we have to, we ha- if we have a property, that we need to, to sell it and give all that we sold it for to God or the Lord's church, even though Barnabas did. But nowhere in the Bible does it command that. It, what it commands is to bring tithes and offerings. They could have brought a tithe. But see, they said it was all. What were they seeking? Self-glory. And that is something God will not share with anyone. And because of that, God consumed them. God destroyed them. If you notice, read on here in in 1 Corinthians 3. If any man's work, verse 15, shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so is by fire. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool, that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. Therefore, let no man glory in men. And here's the problem with Ananias and Sapphira. They were seeking the glory for themselves. And God said, I will not share my glory. And he struck them dead. You see, their work, their good work, they thought their good work became wood, hay, and stubble. Because it wasn't for the glory of God. It wasn't for the glory of God. They wanted everyone to think highly of them. And so their works were consumed because they defiled 
the temple or the church, the place of God's presence where he was to be glorified. Let him, unto him be glory in the church. And then notice finally, God will destroy the wicked in eternal fire. Verse 28 or verse 29 of our text says, For our God is a consuming fire. You know, in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 8, the Bible says, That which was bare of thorns and briars is rejected and nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. Of course, in this context, he's warning those Hebrews not to forsake the Lord Jesus and go back. You know, they need to go on and trust Christ as a Lord and Savior, not turn away, lest they turn away and be destroyed of the destroyer. To end up in hell in the lake of fire. God is a consuming fire. You know, just as thorns and briars are rejected and burned, so those who refuse to hear the word of the Lord, refuse His mercy extended to their sinful soul, that will not submit to the truth, that they are worthy of condemnation and death, and repent, they will be cast into the lake of fire. And so the exhortation, Refuse not him that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Refuse not him that is greater than Solomon. Refuse not him that is better than Moses. Refuse not him that is better than Aaron. Refuse not the Son of God who loved you and died for you. For he is a consuming fire. You know, Peter makes a statement in one of his epistles. If the righteous scarcely be saved, where will the ungodly and sinner reappear? You know, if we refuse him, he will be the judge that sentences us. If we refuse to receive him as Lord and Savior, he will be the judge that sentences us to everlasting fire. And so, he says, refuse not him that speaketh from heaven. Obey him. Serve him. His commandments are not grievous. Serve him acceptably with reverence and godly fear. He will give you the grace to enable you to serve him. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. You know, if we will come to the truth, we will find mercy from the Lord. So how is your relationship with the Lord? Is He your Lord and Savior? How is your service for the Lord? Is it being directed in, out of a yieldedness to the Spirit of God? Obedience to the Word of God? Or are you trying to do it your way? Your way. No, we need to serve God acceptably knowing that we are going to stand before him as his children, as his servants, and give an account. Whether our works are good or whether they are bad. Let's pray.